Thank you for choosing to listen to the sermons of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. We meet at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. And if you're ever in our area, we would love to have you as our guest. If you live in our area, we would love to study the Bible with you. You can call us anytime to set up a Bible study or just to gain more information at 205-486-9247. Also, visit our website, 9thAvenueCofC.com, or check us out on Facebook by simply searching for 9th Avenue Church of Christ. Now we hope you'll join us for a study of God's Word as we seek to follow Him each and every day from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. The very last book of the Bible is one that confuses a lot of people. We get bogged down sometimes in the details and the pictures and the signs and symbols and numbers. And the book of Revelation is very difficult for a lot of people. And our goal over the next several weeks is not to try to study all of the book of Revelation. But there are several times throughout that last book of Scripture where the text tells us to take a look at something, to behold something. And so for the next most of the next several weeks, we're going to be thinking about those texts where the book of Revelation tells us to stop, to look, and to behold. They are amazing passages of Scripture. And they are some of the most important things found in all of Scripture. Some of the biggest themes in all of Scripture. The first of those is in the text we read together just a few minutes ago as Kyle read it for us from Revelation chapter 4. And in reality, it is in some ways the most brilliant of all of those texts. Where John, in the middle of this vision, at the beginning of this vision, just says, Behold, and there was a door open in heaven. Now there's no way the picture on the screens is anywhere near what that actually looked like. But I simply chose that picture because to remind us of how we sometimes get curious about a door that's just kind of cracked open, especially like the picture there where there's a light on the other side of it. It may make you nervous, it may make you excited, but there's something about that that we just cannot help but but look at and be curious about what's on the other side. But as the text goes on in Revelation chapter 4, John's attention is no longer with the door itself. Because Revelation chapter 4 gives us a glimpse into the very throne room of God. And the second time in the book of Revelation chapter 4 that you see the word behold is where John says, Behold, there was one sitting on the throne. There is absolutely no way that with all the imagery at his disposal, and even though John was seeing this in the form of a vision, there is absolutely no way that you and I can possibly get a glimpse, a full glimpse, of just how awe-inspiring this scene was that John saw. In fact, if you read Revelation chapter 4, the verses we read together and keep going, you're going to notice that this text is filled with imagery of power and of light. You're going to see things about God being called the Almighty. You're going to see things such as emeralds and jewels and rainbows and and creatures that have eyes that reflect or or gather light. Everything about this picture has to do with might or, or power and light. And there's no way it even gets us close to just how amazing God really is.
as we go through these lessons in the book of Revelation over the next several weeks, Tyler and I are going to do our best to present these amazing themes of Scripture. But at the back of every one of these lessons, in the back of our mind, in the back of all of our minds, should be one simple fact. And that is that there is no way we really can do them justice. And that begins with this very first statement of, Behold, the Almighty God. Can you imagine what John actually saw? And in fact, because this text is so filled with imagery that might be confusing to us, we're actually going to leave the book of Revelation this morning. And I hope you have your Bible with you, because this may be a, a, a time where you want to mark some things. We're going to spend our time in one chapter in the Old Testament this morning to help us get this picture of just how amazing God is. If you have a Bible, turn all the way back to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 40. Because in Isaiah chapter 40, what the prophet in the Old Testament does is give us some glimpse into just how amazing God actually is. And the way he does it, spread throughout this chapter, is to show us things that we often stand in amazement of in the creation around us, in the world around us, and then continues to tell us that as amazing as those things are, they absolutely pale in comparison to the one who made every one of them with nothing more than the word of his mouth. If you have a handout, you'll notice this note at the top of the page. But for those who are listening by way of recording, I want to make sure that this is said. The first five points of this lesson come from an audio recording or adapted from an audio recording from Dan Wink, where I've added a lot of stuff to it, my own material and later points in the lesson. But I want to make sure somebody's listening is going, wait a minute, this sounds, some of this sounds like something I've heard before. Some of this is his, but a lot of it's mine. But what Isaiah does is to walk through us, walk with us, excuse me, through nature and to have us think about things that, that we look at and go, that's amazing. But then look past them all to the hand that made them. Would you walk through them with me this morning as we behold the Almighty God? He is more amazing in the first place than the sea. In Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 12, that verse begins by telling us, that God is the one who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand. The planet on which we live is sometimes called the blue planet. Because if you see pictures of it from outer space, or maybe you set a globe on the other side of the room, and you go all the way to this side and look at it, it looks blue because there's so much water. In fact, about 70% of the earth's surface is covered with water. The seas and oceans, those massive uh, bodies of water, they hold about 96% of the earth's water. 332 cubic miles of water are found just in the seas and oceans. That doesn't include rivers and lakes and ponds. Now Isaiah in his day and time didn't know that. He did not know just how much water there was on the earth. He didn't know about oceans on the other side of the world. He knew the waters that formed boundaries around the lands in which he lived. He probably knew of some of the Mediterranean or the Great Sea. He knew from the history of his people, the Red Sea. He knew about the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea and probably the Jordan River and some other smaller rivers and tributaries and lakes in and around where he lived. And he stood in amazement of the fact that God could put those waters in the hollow of his hand. But think about what you and I know. 
Think about how much water there really is in the world. What we have discovered through exploration and scientific knowledge of just how much there is. And Isaiah says, it's as if God could put all of that water in the palm, the hollow of his hand. You and I stand on a beach. Or maybe you've been on an airplane flying over the ocean. And you look out and you think, this just never ends. And you look at the power of those waves. And Isaiah says, God could hold all of it. In the hollow of his hand. Behold. The almighty God. He is also more awesome in the second place. Than even space. Verse 12 continues by saying that God marked off the heavens with a span. If you travel from where you're sitting right now, about a hundred thousand feet upward, you'll leave the part of the atmosphere that contains the air we breathe and you'll enter the stratosphere. Go another six miles above that, you'll enter the mesosphere. Go another 36 miles above that, you'll enter the thermosphere. And travel 53 miles above that, you enter the exosphere. And go a few miles beyond that, you enter space, the final frontier. But you know better than I do that that little journey a couple of hundred miles up from where we're standing or sitting right now is a tiny, itsy-bitsy fraction of a journey throughout the universe that God has created. And that's just the atmosphere of our one planet in which we live. To, To grasp just how amazing the universe is in which we live, consider just one galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy in which we live. It's estimated that the galaxy in which we live is 120,000 light years across. That's a number I can't fathom. Light, as you know, travels about 186,000 miles in one second. That's fast enough to circle the earth seven and a half times in one second. If you could travel at that speed, able to circle the earth... Seven and a half times in a second, it would take you 120,000 years to go from one end of the Milky Way galaxy to the other side. And that's one galaxy. We're told that there are our nearest galaxy, our nearest neighboring galaxy is Andromeda. Two billion light years away. Meaning at that same speed, it would take you two billion years to travel from where you're sitting right now to that galaxy. And scientists now tell us that they estimate there are a billion galaxies beyond that one. I can't fathom the vastness of our universe. And those who study such things and know such things tell us that the universe somehow is even expanding. <laughs> and what did Isaiah say? God measures it with a span. What's, what's a span? It's the distance from your pinky to your thumb. It's as if God placed everything in the entire universe. And to Him, it's about the size of His hand. You and I look up and we're amazed and we're boggled by the absolute size and vastness of how huge and massive and awe-inspiring that our universe is. And yet God, it seems, could hold all of it in one hand. Behold the Almighty God. He is more awesome also than His sand. You're still in verse 12. And you'll notice this one. 
We're told that God enclosed, or some translations have calculated, the dust of the earth in a measure. And the word for measure there is a word that literally means a three-pronged fork. Now, I have no idea who has the time to figure out these sorts of things or how they possibly do. But I'm told by those who do have that kind of time that there are an estimated seven quintillion, five quadrillion grains of sand on the surface of the earth. And you thought your job was boring. Try counting all of that. But our text pictures all of that sand, all the grains of the dust of the earth. It pictures it as if God were simply to take a three-pronged fork and pick all of it up and place it wherever He wants it to go. You can almost see God measuring a little out over here for a beach and a lot out over here for a desert and a little more over there for some other reason. No matter how many grains of sand there actually are, our God has placed each and every one of them. And He knows where every last one of them is. He is that awesome. He is that powerful. Behold the Almighty God. He is more awesome in the fourth place than the slopes of the earth. Many of you over the last several weeks maybe watched some of the Winter Olympics. And maybe you watched some of those outdoor events like skiing and stuff. And, and you, you watched the people do those things, skiing down the slopes or doing long, high, far jumping or whatever it is that they do this forever. And you're like, what are they doing? But maybe when they pulled the camera back, you just saw those mountains and you said, wow, isn't that beautiful? We sometimes look at mountains and we're just amazed by them. But verse 12 ends with the phrase of God weighing the mountains in the scales and the hills in a balance. There are 23 major mountain ranges in the world. A lot of them are divided into smaller ranges, but from the Alps to the Himalayas to the Rockies, the Appalachians, the Andes, many of us are amazed by mountains. They look timeless. look like they've been there forever. And there's just a certain majesty about them that draws us in and makes us amazed. And for, for centuries, nations have used mountain ranges for protection from invaders and from boundaries. But our text says it's as if God takes all of those mountains and just places them on a balance He knows where they all are. And it's as if he knows how much every one of them weighs so the earth doesn't even begin to tilt one way or the other because there's too much weight on one side and not not enough on the other. Which, by the way, is exactly what scientists tell us have happened. They tell us that the earth is exactly balanced in part because of how many mountains are on one side and how many are on the other. And yet God, it seems, took a mountain and said, I want one there and I want a hill over here. And a majestic valley over there. And he weighed all of them in his balance. Behold the almighty God. He is more awesome in the fifth place than society. 193 nations currently comprise the United Nations. And you added some other states like Kosovo, Taiwan, Vatican City. You have 196 nations. And then there are 10 others that are considered sovereign states but are disputed. Places like Northern Ireland and others. We call these societies. People groups. That claim language and claim culture in certain areas, geographic regions. But if you're still in Isaiah 40, look down at verse 15. And the text tells us, behold, the nations are like a drop from the bucket to our God. Now, some of you are reading from a translation that says they're like a drop in the bucket. I don't want to get too technical this morning. But the translation to say a drop from the bucket is actually more accurate. Because the picture that Isaiah is drawing here is to see everything that is. 
And that all the nations, all the societies are as if all that stuff were in a bucket filled with water. And one little drop is hanging over the edge, the lip of that bucket. That's all the nations of the earth compared to the vastness of God. It's a remarkable phrase that that one little drop could represent all people compared to God. In fact, down in verse 22, the same chapter will tell us the inhabitants of the earth are like grasshoppers. That's not to say that people are nothing, but it's meant to draw a comparison or a contrast, really, between us and the awesome, amazing, majestic God We may think that we have a lot together, and we do. We may think we've figured out a lot, and we have. We may think that we are advanced, and we are. But when we compare ourselves to God, we are nothing more than a drop hanging from the lip of a bucket compared to how vast and amazing His knowledge is. Behold the Almighty God. He is more awesome, number six, than the sphere of the earth. Drop down in the text to verse 22 of Isaiah 40, and you read the phrase, It is He, speaking of God, it is He who sits above the circle of the earth. And you've probably heard it said before, correctly so, that the word for circle there is actually a word that means a sphere or a ball. The earth is round, it is a sphere. At its middle point, the equator, the earth is 24,902 miles in circumference. It contains 197 million square miles of surface area. And I'm told that if you could actually weigh the earth, if you could figure out the the mass tonnage of the earth, that the earth would weigh 6.6 sextillion tons. And we also know the earth is nowhere near the largest planet in the solar system. But you think about the size of our planet, the beauty of our planet, the vast mass of our planet. And Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 22 says, it's as if it serves as nothing more than a chair for God. It is he who sits above the sphere, the circle of the earth. As huge, as heavy as the earth is compared to God, it is nothing more than a chair. Behold, the Almighty God. He is more awesome, number seven, than the sky. That same verse, verse 22, ends by saying that God stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent. To dwell in or in which to dwell. We've already discussed outer space a little while ago. So consider these words here about just the sky that we think about. Our atmosphere. Even that space. The the sky, the air we breathe is amazing when you stop and think about it. It boggles the mind. It's made up of any number of gases. The most common being nitrogen, hydrogen, and oxygen. And all of those gases have to be held in exacting percentages for life to continue, for certain activities to go on, for weather to continue, and air to circulate. Those gases have to be exactly right. If you take the layers of our atmosphere and put them together, I'm told that our gravity holds 5,000 trillion tons of gases in place for us to breathe, And for there to be weather patterns. And yet somehow, despite the fact that there are 5,000 trillion tons of gases pressing in on us at all time, we continue to grow. Plants continue to grow. We continue to be able to move around and walk because of the balance that's held by gravity 
and by what God has put in place. And yet Isaiah says, with all of that mixture of gases, with all of that weight being held in, with all of that being exactly right, how difficult was it for God to make it? To God, it was like hanging a curtain. He stretches out the heavens like a curtain. And he sets up a tent in which for them to dwell. You almost get the picture of God looking and saying, that's nice, but I'd like a beautiful cloud over there. And I'd like a few clouds over here to help some rain fall. I'd like to beautify this view just a little bit. And he hung up a curtain that you and I live by. Behold the Almighty God. He is also more awesome than the stars. In Isaiah 40, jump down to verse 26. And you read these words. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. If you go out to a clear spot in the country on a, a clear night, no lights from the town around or anything, and you have fairly normal vision, you can see about 9,000 stars. If you buy a decent pair of binoculars, I'm told you can see about 200,000. And with a nicer telescope, not a scientific one, one you can just buy from, from the internet or at a store or something, you can see about 15 million stars. As remarkable as those numbers are, that's just a few million of the approximately 400 billion stars that are just found in the Milky Way, our one galaxy. We already talked earlier about how many galaxies there actually are. And our text says that as vast as that number is, and as mind-boggling as that number is, not only did God make them all, He knows every one of them by name. He names them all. And remembers every one of them. And the text even tells us that not one of them is missing. We have amazing scientists in our world today who look at the stars and look at the planets and see these things happening in the universe around us, the galaxies around us. And they're amazed sometimes by there used to be a star here and now there's not a star. What what happened? And they try to figure that out. And this text is saying God knew exactly what happened. Not one of them is missing. When those stars burn out or whatever happens, God knows every one of them to the farthest flung galaxies of our universe. I can't fathom anything like that. And yet God knows every one of them by name. And some of you are thinking, well, this has been a nice science class and it's been a lot of facts and figures and numbers and statistics. But folks, if that's all you've gotten this morning are facts and figures and statistics, I have utterly failed. Because what Isaiah is trying to show is that to all of these things that that arrest our attention and make us stand up and look and be in awe of, of sky and mountains and stars and seas to look beyond those and to behold the almighty God, because he is awesome. It is not wrong for us to look at creation and to be amazed. It is not wrong for us to stand in awe of a beautiful mountain range or a beautiful starlit sky. But if, as Christians, if that's all we see, we've missed the point of it all. 
Because we've missed the God who spoke all of it into creation with the word of his mouth. And John, 800 years after Isaiah wrote, wrote these words, was supposed to describe that God to us. Do you see now why we left Revelation 4 and went to Isaiah 40? There's no possible way. As awe-inspiring as the vision John saw was, there is no way he could fully accomplish, even by inspiration, relaying to us how awesome was the one seated on the throne. But I want to end this morning by reminding you of something else that Isaiah said all the way back in our chapter. It is remarkable what Isaiah says sprinkled throughout the chapter about all these things in creation and how God is above them all and knows them all and it boggles our mind. But it's where Isaiah ends chapter 40 That makes this very personal. Are you still in Isaiah 40? Begin reading with me in verse 28. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. The creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Pause for a second. Are you seeing a transition take place? Look at the Almighty God. He created everything. Stand in awe of Him. Be amazed at Him. But are you seeing a transition take place? Keep reading. Verse 30. Even youths shall faint and be weary. And young men shall be exhausted. But, but, they who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. The one who knows where every Grain of sand is. The one who has a name for every star. The one who balances the earth by placing mountains and hills where he wishes. The one who makes certain that all of the gases we need to live and breathe and have weather are exacting in where they are and what they are doing is the same one who knows you. And is the same one who will be with you even when you're tired, even when you're faint, and even when you're weary. Behold, the Almighty God. O Lord my God, 
when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars. I hear the rolling thunder. Thy power throughout the universe displayed. When through the woods and forest glades I wander and hear the birds sing sweetly in the trees. When I look down from lofty mountain grandeur and hear the brook and feel the gentle breeze. Then sings my soul. My Savior God to thee. You finish it as we stand and as we sing.